All right, good morning, all you good birds. Welcome to the Nasty Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your pastor, your minister. It's old Uncle Marty here. Welcome. Thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you all for showing up as you do every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time because that's when we do service. So thank you. Thank you um, always for showing up and, and being part of the congregation, being part of the good flock, the good bides. It's great. We appreciate it. So today, as you saw, we are going to do... We're going to finish up the book of Matthew. Uh, this is going to be chapter 28, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to cover today. This might be a, a kind of a short one, and so after this, I think what we're going to do is do another live stream right after this and probably cover, unless we include it in this one, I'll see how I feel, see how it goes, but um, do another live stream after this and just sort of have a casual chat, do um, Q&A, and I've got some whiteboard stuff that I wanted to show you guys because I got my, my whiteboard working. I got an iPad, so we're going to do that. So after this, this is only 20 verses, and we're gonna. It's, there's a lot of stuff in here, though, in those 20 verses, but after that, we'll just do a casual chat and I'll um, ask questions or answer questions or anything like that. Anybody wants to yell at me or anything like that, we'll be, you'll be free to do so, okay? So, but today, um, this morning, we're going to finish the book of Matthew, which is amazing. Before we do that, let's do a prayer. And this is a prayer from St. Augustine, and it's a good one. O Lord, breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love, but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. Short, sweet, to the point, but pretty nice. Pretty nice and beautiful. Okay, so like I said, we did the entire book of Matthew. Um, we finished the book of Mark and we finished the book of Matthew and we're going to be moving on to the book of John and probably be a few weeks. I've got um, some other uh, live streams that I want to take care of before we do that. But I would like to um, say congratulations or thank you to all the people that have actually watched all these and participated in it because it's been, it's quite a feat. I never thought I would do anything like this in my life, let alone, you know, start a church, be a minister or any of that sort of stuff or do esoteric and mystical breakdowns of the Bible. Um, and so, but here we are, and it's been, um, I don't know, it's been quite an accomplishment, I must say. Um, feeling pretty good about it, let's just say that. Anyway, Matthew chapter 28. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is there's 28 chapters in this entire book, okay? And, of course, what we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ is we, we focus on the esoteric and mystical aspects of the Bible. We realize what the Bible actually is and what it's actually trying to point to, to you. And that's a, that's a scientific understanding of the fact that there is a um, an eternal divine spark within you, that, that God exact, actually exists within you, and that all of these things in the world are actually pointing to that. And not only that, pointing to this um, mystical process, what we call the transubstantiation of the soul. We can call it the great work. We can call it deification, divinization. We can call it apotheosis. We can give it a bunch of different names and terms. But ultimately, it is the spiritual conquest that we are to make down here on earth. And that's what the entire book is about. It's honestly the entire book of the Bible is really about you. Of course, that's why you read a book is so that you can actually relate to the book and be like, okay, what does this thing have to do with me? Okay. The reason that, as we know, that modern Christianity cannot open that book and actually understand it the way in which we do here at the church is because, once again, they've cut out all the doors and um, all the inroads, they've cut off all the inroads and closed all the doors to actually understand it. 
Um, and one of those things is, you know, um, so I've heard, heard lots of people laugh at this before, but is fanatics and wordplay and puns and things like that. And this exists within the name Matthew. And it's not a joke. It's literally there to, you know, the fanatics are there to talk about math and you. Okay. Now, once again, that would just be a bunch of like Zachary Hubbard kind of etymological fucking mishmash, right? But when we actually put um, the 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 mathematics to it and actually what's right in front of us to it, we we see a lot, we see that this is exactly what the writers were trying to actually you know instill in people, instill in the writer. Um, Matthew is the mathematics. There's 28 chapters in this book. Well, why? Why? Well, because as we know, that 28 is put right in front of us. And it becomes the key, as we've seen before, as we, as we just covered, the key, as in the keystone, we'll cover that again. But it becomes the key to actually unlocking and opening up the doors um, to all of the great, um, you know, religions and, and, you know, mystical doctrines and things like that. In other words, the answer has always been right in front of you. The key has always been right in front of you. The first video I ever did on YouTube, the very first video I ever did on YouTube was about Jesus Christ and the Holy Grail. And the conclusion was that the Holy Grail is literally right in front of you. The cup from which Jesus drank was his own two hands, and that reflects your own two hands. Okay? So we have 28 phalanges. And as you'll see, we're going to deal a lot with the hands today, of course. We're going to be dealing with squaring the circle. We're going to be dealing with the Kaaba and the cube today. We're going to be covering 666. And, um, but ultimately, it's going to lead to our hands. And where does that 28 come from in the 28 chapters of this book? It's right in front of you. 14 phalanges on your left, 14 on your right. And there it is. And that's one of the things that Matthew is absolutely pointing to. Okay. Not only do we know that because of the as above, so below um, aspect, um, this sort of philosophical credo, this axiom is really what it is. We see that the that 28 is also on our feet as well. So this is as above, so, so below in the, um, the bone structure of the human being. 14 phalanges on the left foot, 14 on the right, and that mirrors your hands. Okay? And so this is exactly why <clears throat> there are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. And this, and this chapter, of course, is going to resolve with the resurrection of Jesus. So we just did the crucifixion of Jesus. Now let's talk about the resurrection. Now, ultimately, before we even get into any of this, what is this, what is this a parable for, as we know, as we've covered time and time again? What is it ultimately a metaphor for, a parable for? What is the story actually mystically there to impart to you? That is your own death and resurrection. That's what it's all about. It's not, it's not actually about some dude that lived 2,000 years ago and we're supposed to pray to him and idol worship to him because he rose three days and, and, and appeared from some tomb. No, the tomb that, that, that he appeared from is the same tomb that you are to appear from in this sort of sense, right? Um, the, the resurrection, the, or the tomb that he was supposed to be in, I should say, right? That's the tomb. The, 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 the resurrection is all about you. It's about r resurrecting the true divine nature of the human being. Okay, so let's start. Matthew 28, 1. In the end of the Sabbath, comma, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. Now, traditionally, what is the first day of the week? It's Sunday. And we know that the, the traditional Sabbath was Saturday. Okay, of course, as, as we know, there are still Sabbath keepers out there, which is absolutely insane. Now, of course, we all keep the Sabbath, but the idea of, oh, the Sabbath must stay on Saturday is absolute nonsense because we know that what? 
Jesus taught on Saturday. He went into the synagogues on Saturday. He went to the temple and prayed. He, you know, he, he, he healed people on Saturday. So obviously this keeping of the Sabbath has a much more esoteric and mystical meaning. Okay? So in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, the first day of the week is what? It's Sunday. That's the original first day of the week. And they're even telling you that. It's after this, after the Sabbath. So once again, when we look at this in a Shakespearean sort of way and, and recognizing that this is mystical literature, what are they absolutely pointing to here? The rising of the what? The sun. And that's exactly what this whole story is about. The Son of Man lifting it up through, you know, you know, through the human body, all the way up and out of this thing so that you can die and be reborn and reunify with God. And that is the path that Christ in the story has put forward for all people. Okay? Now, we're going to see this sun, once again, all of these subtleties. The sun gives us specific mathematics. And this will all come up in, in the chapter. Um, it's all stuff that we've covered before. But one of the things that the sun does is gives us this 666. Number one, Jesus, the sun, gives us 666 in his name. We've covered this many times. I'm just reviewing it. So, you know, if anybody is questioning, you know, 4-5-G-6-6-6. This actually comes from our base 10 system. The sun actually does a, um, basically forms a triangle in the sky. It goes up from the dawn at the horizon. Horizon equals 22 and has seven letters and 22 divided by seven is pi. The sun rises in the horizon on that, on that uh, you know, the horizon point, gets up to the zenith and then goes back down to the set, you know, sets in the, in the west. And what is that? It forms that ultimate triangle, right? Your equilateral triangle is 60, 60, 60, reduced down to what? 666. The pattern of that sun in a diurnal cycle is one day cycle is 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in a day. What does this reduce down to? 60 becomes 6, 60 becomes 6, and 24 hours becomes 6. That's a lot of 666s, okay? We also know that this 666, and I'll show you why we're laying all this forward right now, is directly related to the cube, the Kabbah of Kabbalah. There are six sides of the cube. How do you cube something? You multiply it by three times. So just in the construction, the geometric construction of the three-dimensional cube, what do you have? 6, 6, 6, mystically. There's 2,160 degrees of that cube. 216 is 6 times 6 times 6. It's all referencing 666. And we're going to see that this is exactly what the entire chapter ends with. The entire chapter leads, uh, leaves you with squaring the circle and one number. And it's 666. And we'll explain why. Okay. So, towards the first day of the week, this is the Sunday, because what are they referencing? As we know, the sun. The sun. In that, on that Sunday, on dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the sepulcher. Now, we covered this last week about who the Marys are. Of course, we know Mary is the, the Virgin Mary. There's, the, of course, always whenever we recognize a Mary, there's the Virgin Mary there. That represents Virgo, of course. Right next to Virgo is Coma Berenices. Berenices comes from Nike, the Greek, the Greek goddess, the uh, goddess of victory, and so this actually means the queen's hair. So it's like a queen. It's a it's a it's a woman of victory, of course. And we know when we are victorious in our spiritual conquest, what have we done? What have we done? We've married the opposites. We've 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 um, completed the great alchemical work by marrying the opposites. The alchemical wedding, the alchemical marriage, the coincidentia positorum. And so why, do a, why are there a couple Marys there? Once again, mystically, now we understand. 
If we're supposed to take this literally, what, what do we extract from this? What does any of the literalists extract from this? Nothing. Basically nothing. So here we have the two Marys, Coma Berenices and Mary the Virgo, and they are right by the tomb of Jesus as we saw. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. What is the sepulcher? Of course, this is all the stuff that we covered last week. Of course, there's Jesus' crucifixion. There's the, there's the body of the, of the crucified Christ on the cross. There's the Centaurus. There's Pontius Pilate, etc. Right? right to the left of all of that is Ophiuchus, which is the serpent holder. We'll, we'll get into that. And the coffin. And there's the tomb. There's the sepulcher. There's where Jesus, there's where Joseph went and hewn out of the rock the place where Jesus was to lay. And of course, three, day, they, you know, three days later, they went in and he wasn't there. Right, okay. So there's the Marys up there, and it even says that they, you know, they're right by the sepulchre. Okay. So the tomb is the coffin. Now, once again, um, what is the coffin? The coffin we've talked about before is Ophiuchus. And that is the asterism, the main asterism. It's the body, the coffin, the place of rest is the body of Ophiuchus, is what it is. The asterism is, asterism is known as a coffin. Ophiuchus, the snake handler, and that'll come. In, that'll be coming in important. With a closer look at the stars, that make up its central asterism, the coffin. Okay, so we're gonna see that this two Marys that were bite by the sepulchre. What happened? Well, they went and to, you know to see if Jesus was in there, and of course there was a big stone, as it says in twenty-eight two, and behold. There was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Okay, so now in front of this Ophiuchus, the coffin where Jesus was laid to rest, a big stone was rolled over it, as we know. Well, what is this stone? Once again, we've covered this. There's the sepulcher. Right there's the coffin. There's where Jesus was laid to rest. The Marys are right to the you know right of that over there. Or, uh, yes, excuse me. And then you have the stone that was rolled over the entrance to the coffin. Well, what is the massive stone that was rolled over the entrance to the coffin? The sepulcher. That is the keystone of Hercules, which is right by the coffin of Ophiuchus. So, and now the keystone is a massive asterism in the sky. And it is, it is literally a big stone, okay? So, um, we're going to see this... Um, this is the whole rolling of the stone away. There was a big angel whose countenance was like lightning and his raiment was as white as snow. He came back, descended, and rolled the stone away from the sepulcher in which Jesus was laid to rest. Okay, So there's, there's your pictures of it. And we're going to see, obviously, this is all astrological. This account reports that the angel of the Lord rolled away the stone that covered the tomb as, it, as if to show his awesome strength. That's what it was there to show. The angel sat upon the stone after rolling it away. Okay, so pretty interesting uh, little tidbits, little information that they give you. Oh, he sat on the stone, he rolled it away and stuff like that. Of course, what is this? This is the sepulcher and the stone. This is the keystone of Hercules in front of the coffin of Ophiuchus. Okay? And, um, and this keystone plays a huge part, um, as we saw before, this keystone plays a huge part in, in the story because it's really the, the key and the stone being the Kaaba, which is the stone, which is the cube, and the key, which is our very hands. And we'll see that once again. I'll cover that again. But the keystone is a massive asterism. It's a very large asterism. 
It's a trapezoid-shaped pattern and makes it easy for observers to identify the constellations. And that's what asterism is, basically. It's a, it's a pattern of stars that helps you identify other stars. Okay, And so this the keystone in Hercules is the big stone that was rolled in front of the door. The keystone is an asterism formed by four relatively bright stars, and it represents Hercules' torso. And you can, you know, of course, you can you can see that on Hercules. And I'll bring this up right there. You can see it almost looks like that guy is sitting on that. It's almost it's it's almost like the keystone represents the the ass seat of the chair, and the rest of the star patterns in Hercules is him sitting on the chair. And of course, that's exactly what the what the uh, what the verse tells you. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, rolled with stone, and he sat upon that stone. Okay? So Hercules, who is Hercules? Hercules is, um, and the keystone is obviously right, part of Hercules. Who is Hercules? Well, he is a hero figure. He's a hero. He's And, and once again, when he sat upon the stone, what is the, what is the, um, what are they trying to get to, get you to say? They just outright say it, basically. It's like, oh, it's there because to show his strength. And remember, the next line is going to say, oh, his, his countenance was like lightning and he was white as stone. What they're doing is, is basically poetically saying that this guy is a hero figure. That's what he is. What, who is Hercules in the old, the old Grecian myth? Well, many popular stories were told of his life, the most famous being the 12 labors of Hercules. So the figure of Hercules himself is what? He undergoes the 12 labors. What do those labors represent? The labors represent the disciplines that you have to undergo in your own body, as we know. And that's what this whole parable is about. All of it. Okay? So when we talk about the 12 labors of Hercules and the 12 disciples of Christ, many people think that you're talking about two separate things. We're not. We're not at all. When you realize that what these, what these characters are pointing to are universal, transcendental truths that are available to all people, they're, you know, they're in the sky, they're, um, of course, they're universal, that sort of thing, then you realize that everybody needs to undergo, in their quest down here, in their alchemical quest, the 12 dis disciplines, the 12 labors. So hence why you have this figure, the very figure that's going to roll the stone away from where Jesus was, was you know, laid to rest, this figure is what? He's a hero figure. Of course he is. And his hero, what, why was he heroic? Why is he ultimately heroic? Because he underwent the 12 labors. He conquered all of the physical, the, the, you know, the physical things you have to deal with here and your disciplines on earth. And of course, that's why it's disciples, of course. Now, Hercules also is known as, you know, a guy that one of, one of the labors is, you know, he fights off Hydra, which is the multi-headed serpent, but he's always fighting serpents. You can see and in, in the upper left-hand one there, he's like carrying a big stone as well, right? Hercules is always battling serpents. That's kind of his shtick. That's kind of his thing. There's just more and more of them here. So there's one on the top, and he's grabbing the serpent, and then he's a little child. I think him and his brother, who's probably Ophiuchus, were fighting serpents, okay? So this Hercules guy represents the, a hero in the sky. Um, in the Odyssey, um, is Hercules is in Hades, and it says this, okay? And next, I caught a glimpse of powerful Heracles. Hercules, of course, same, same character. His ghost, I mean. Not the actual dude, because that's exactly what we're talking about. There's a ghost. That's a ghost, which is what? Metaphysical. The man himself delights in the grand feasts of the deathless gods on high. Around him, cries of the dead rang out like cries of birds scattering left and right. 
Around him, cries of the dead rang out like cries of birds scattering left and right. All of this is astrological as we know, okay? Cries of the dead, as it says. What are the cries of the dead? We already covered this last week. I don't have it mentioned there, but Delphinus is Job's coffin. It's known as a coffin. Right across from, well, there, where there's a bunch of birds, we'll get to that in just a second, is, of course, a fucus, which is what? A coffin. So here's the cries of the dead. This is exactly what we talked about when the saints arose from the graves and when Jesus, you know, was resurrected or died and that sort of thing. These saints arose from the grave. It's the exact same story. It's just told in a, in, a, in a different way. Then he says, of course, it says, on ah, the cries of the birds scattering left and right. What are the birds? Right next to Heracles there, Hercules, to the right there is what? You've got Altair, which is the eagle's head, Aquila, which is the eagle. You've got Cygnus, which is the swan. You've got a bunch of birds there, okay? Now, Hercules, we have to understand, Jesus went and was crucified. So died and then ultimately he is going to be resurrected as um right he's going to be resurrected okay and so what is that process as we know what is it it's ultimately the process of raising the serpent through your spinal column up into the aries into the lamb into the ram and up and out of this bitch that's what it is now look at hercules what is he surrounded by serpents all day long He's got a serpent right below Hercules. There is what? Draco, the dragon that's protecting the pole star. You've got the serpent holder that's right above him because why? Well, it has to be because that's the big stone that was rolled away from the tomb and where Jesus was, was laid to rest. And what is Ophiuchus holding? Serpents. Okay. So what are, in this sense, what are we? What is, what, is, what is the body, that ultimate body that we have to transcend in the, in the physical? Well, it's filled with serpents. <laughs> and this goes all the way from the Old Testament to the New. It goes in, you can go to Indofuck and China. You can go down to the Mayans and all, the, all these old, you know, civilizations essentially everywhere. There's going to be some smattering. There's going to be some reference to this process. And it's found all over the world. And that's because that is mankind's goal here. That is what we're here to do. We have a purpose. We have a goal. God has set forth a path for us. And that's what the story of Jesus is all about. Okay? This is, as we know, John 3, 14. So why is Hercules, in other words, right by the tomb and there's a bunch of serpents? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is John 3, 14, so must the sun, that light of man, must be lifted up. So Jesus is lifting the son of man up if you will, that's what he represents. That's what it, that's what he is, the Son of Man within you up. And what is that? It's Moses lifting the serpents up in the wilderness. And this is all a reference to Kundalini. Clearly, as 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 we know. But the 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 most important point that I think we have to understand is that story is written in our sky. It's actually in the constellations that are surrounding that pole star there. It's cut into the, the stone of the stars, if you will, right? The, the rock of the stars, if you will. It's up there and it ain't going anywhere, in other words. And that's just one of the ways that this story is told. We could actually talk about Hydra and Hydras, and we could talk about the pole in the center and lifting up in the pole Aries, which we have. But the point is, is that once you understand the story, once you have the keystone, 
and you put that behind your eyes and you go to look at all of this stuff, then you'll start to make sense of it. If you don't, if you don't have that keystone, then all of it just becomes a, a you know, just a historical, literalist mishmash of shit that just doesn't make any sense. Your sky becomes alive when you actually understand what these stories mean. Okay? This is all reference to what's going on in you. And as we covered, I think this was last live stream, maybe the one before, the Caiaphas. What is the, this was the keystone. They had the keystone. What is the key? The key is your own two hands. That's why key equals 10. And what's the stone? It's the Kaaba. It's the cube. Stone equals 21. And what is that? It's one, two, three, four, five, six sides of the cube adding together to be what? 21. The stone. Okay. So we have, a, we have a reference to the sun. We know the mathematics of the sun. We know who the Marys are. We have this angel of the Lord, which is what? Hercules. And he rolled back the stone and then he sat upon the keystone. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment was as white as snow. Countenance, of course, why did they use the word countenance? You, you know, there's, a, there's a, what, 10 different synonyms you could use for the word countenance? What is, what, just count. The account of a creation. What are you supposed to do? Apparently math might be involved. Countenance is, of course, behavior, being, conduct, manners, outward appearance and looks, demeanor, bearing, conduct, the way that one can, uh, contains oneself. Of course, this countenance was like lightning and his raiment was as white as snow. Uh, of course, before we get into the white as snow thing, the countenance is raiment. He's a hero figure. This is the angel that rolled the stone away and sat upon it. He's an absolute hero. So his behavior, his appearance, his looks, that sort of stuff is all of great countenance. And then, of course, you're supposed to actually count the keystone and everything like that. We won't get into that. Countenance. Count, con, which means to hold, to come together. And then the, it, it's um, ten. Count ten. And 10 literally means to what? To stretch. How do you stretch? With your hands or with your feet, correct? So that would lead, once again, right up to the math that we were talking about earlier, right? The 28 chapters, or 28, ver excuse me, 28 chapters in this entire book. So countenance literally tells you count and then reach forward with 10. <laughs> All leading to the exact same thing. Now it says here, his countenance was like a hero, a hero in the stars. And his raiment was white as snow. We are, why is his raiment, why is what he's wearing, what he is wearing as white as snow? Because we all know, first off, the chapter before, what do we know? There's a reference to a white box, an alabaster box, and this is what anointed Christ. And who was that? It was Mary again. Um, imagine that. So there was a Mary that's marrying, if you will, do it, undergoing the alchemical work, the alchemical wedding, pouring the chrism, the oil on Jesus, and it's a white box. Why? Because white represents, as we know, purity. So here's this hero figure whose raiment is as pure as the virgin snow, if you will. Okay? So obviously we know, and we'll get back to this, what is, the, what is that box that the, the woman um, was, you know, what is the reference to the box? Of course, that's the Kaaba. 
that's a, that's a in, in one sense, it's a direct reference to masonry as well. Masonry has the rough ashlar stone to the perfect ashlar stone. The perfect ashlar stone is perfectly cut. There's no, um, there's no um, flaws in it. There's no chips in it. It's, it's virgin pure, if you will. Okay. His raiment, it says, his raiment, which means what he was wearing. Okay. Well, in this sense, what, what are you wearing as a divine spark of God, an eternal divine spark of God? What are we all wearing? What do we put on when we come down to earth here? A meat suit, a meat suit. That's what it is. That physical body is represented by what? The cube. The cube. Left, right, forward, you know, up, down, left, right, forward, reverse, of course. That's the six directions. And we're going to see that this, this cube is a reference to your body. So these are all subtle references to say, hey, um, what was he wearing? Well, it was white as snow, was pure, because this guy is a pure soul, of course. And the people that put the stone over the door, they saw this hero figure who was pure, had a body that was pure, right? He was carrying himself very, very well, if you will. And they feared him. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. They were dead. Now we know also this cube, and we'll get all back into this when we get to the end. I'm laying this out right now so we can, when we get to the end. We know that the city of God is a cube, Okay. And so it, it's absolutely quintessential to understand the foundations of geometry, to understand what's happening in Revelation, what's happening with the Marian anointing, the, you know, the why, why she has a white box. All of these things are absolutely quintessential to know to even make sense of Scripture at all. So basically what they're saying is he was, he was carrying himself, his body, which is the cube, was white and pure. He was a man, and it even says, an angel from heaven. Of course, the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12. He measured it with a reed. We talked about that. What was the reed from? It's a reference to heaven. 12,000 furlongs, the length and breadth and height of it are equal. That's a cube. It lies foursquare, okay, as we know. Okay. 28, 5. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that you, ye, seek Jesus which was crucified. So the first thing they say, they tell you that these people that saw somebody that was a hero figure, they were scared of them, right? When the angel comes to them and says, don't, don't fear, don't have any fear, fear not ye, fear, fear not <clears throat> you. Think about it. What, what is it all telling you? It's all telling about things that are going on in, within you. Fear not, don't fear. Don't have fear about what? Becoming the Hercules, becoming the Christ, becoming the hero figure. For I know that you seek Jesus. You're actually seeking what? An, a, an honest spiritual life that's not full of bullshit, that has integrity and dignity, and you want the truth, and you're willing to sacrifice, and you're not clinging to the world. Then it says, don't fear. And then, for I know that you're seeking that honest spiritual life, comma, which was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? On the cross. And everybody knows, or you at least should if you listen to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, that the cube unfolds into a cross. 
So all these references to the cube, oh, I know who you seek. You're seeking Jesus within. And he's crucified on that cross. And what does that cross represent? The, the cube represents the human body. And what does the cross represent? Why do you think Jesus is nailed to that cross? What is the mystical message there? Where do you seek Jesus? Within you, within the cross of the human being. And then it goes, uh, 28.6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Okay, so he's not here in this, in this tomb, in this place of death. You're not going to find him here. He's risen. Now come see the place where the Lord lay, and we'll see where the Lord, will the Lord lay. Let's see. So what is ultimately we're going to see. Well, if we understand that this is what's going on, that he is risen, what happens in the as above, so below sort of way? Well, if you rise up through the human torus, what's going to end, what ends up happening? You go, you go down. This is the, and this is exactly what you'll see where in the story where they tell you is. So there's the human torus. So he's risen. He's gone up and out of that torus. He's in the, into the polaris, right? And now he's going to go back down and he's going to appear in a place that's in the southern celestial hemisphere. So there's the Taurus of the human body. He is risen. You can see there's, there it is. There's the serpents, the Kundalini, the whole, the whole bit. I think that comes from Walter Russell on the left, I believe. I'm not sure if that's, um, but there's your north celestial pole. And then what you're going to see is that he ends up going to the southern celestial pole. And we'll get to that in just a second, okay? We're going to do some math first. I'm going to lay that out. So, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. This is the math of this. He is not here, <clears throat> for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. The gematria total of this is 264. Now, that doesn't mean much to anybody. It didn't mean much to me. Unless you do some investigation. Of course, we have, when we look at a number, we have to look at what is the qualities of the number? What is the attributes of that number? Is it a prime? Is it not a prime? What are its divisors? And then that's going to lead you to a further, um, you know, a further investigation into what's actually being said mathematically, what's being encrypted mathematically. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay equals 264. The divisors of 264 equal 720. Why, why is this important? Why? So he is not here. You went and looked for a place where there would be a dead person and he's not here. Now come see because Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is the eternal life. He's the eternal presence of the now. Of course, you're not going to find him in a fucking tomb. Where is he? Well, the math is going to tell you. The sum of the divisors of 264 or 720. You know what that is? That's the hexagon. 720 degrees of the hexagon. What is the hexagon? Of course, that's uh, or the hexagram, the hexagon. Well, it's the Jewish thought of David. Most people recognize it as that, but, you know, it's actually found all over the world. It's not anything. It's fundamental geometry. It's not specifically anything Judaic, if you will. Okay? So, what are they saying here? Oh, you're not going to find the eternal life the you know that is that represents 
that Christ represents, that is, you're not going to find him in a place that's dead. You're going to find him in a place that's alive. And that is in the very center of you, in the center of the hexagon, the hexagram. Now, once again, why is this important? Because when we look at that cube in two dimensions, do you know what it gives us? Well, it gives us that six directions of space. It gives us a hexagon. So there's our Kaaba, there's our cube, which, inform, which unfolds into a cross, which is where Jesus was crucified. And then when we look at the cube two-dimensionally, drawn two-dimensionally, you can actually, oh, it actually forms that six-pointed star. And so what is it pinpointing to? Where is Christ? Well, he's in the center of the thing. And that's what the chi Rho is all about. That's what the symbol of the key Rho is all about. It's the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm, every, I'm the first and the last in everything in between, which means I have centered myself in every living thing down here. And I have centered myself within the human body that is the cube, and I have centered myself right there. And hence why they're giving you the 720 degrees of what? The hexagon or what would be the, yeah, the hexagon, two-dimensional cube there, if you will, okay? So here's our hexagon. Here's the, uh, oh, we're rising up through, oh, we'll get to that in just a second. I'm sorry. Sorry. He is not here. He is risen. Where are we going to find him now? In the center of you. That's where you find him. That's where he comes <clears throat> In the flesh. More math. This is what he says. Watch this. Watch this. This is for those 107. Hey, 107 is the 28th prime. Um, watch this. It says, He is not here, for he is risen, comma, as he said, period. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. So this guy, this angel dude, Hercules, said two things. Number one, he is not here, colon, for he is risen. Then the next thing he says is this, come see the place where the Lord lay. Two things he says. Let's do some math. He is not here, for he is risen. What does this equal? We already did the math of the whole thing. Oh, let, let's, uh, wait, let's start here. Let's start. He is not here, for he is risen. He's, he's Aries. He's arose. He's risen, right? Okay, this equals 110. Once again, we have to look at the divisors. What are the qualities of that number? What is 110? What is occulted within the number 110? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's 6 times 6 times 6. It's the cube. 110. The gematria total of he is not here for he is risen equals 110. All you have to do is look at the divisors of 110 and it's going to lead you to what? 216, which is what? 6 times 6 times six, which is exactly what they gave you in the whole thing. He is not here. He is risen. He said to the come place where the Lord lay. Oh, boom, that's 720. Okay, so that's where he says, he says here, he is not risen. He is not here for he is risen. And then the next thing he says is this, come see the place where the Lord lay. What is that? 
Those are the, these are the two things that he says in this verse. The angel, come see the place where the Lord lay. It equals 120. What's 120? It's the doctrine of Jesus. A trine is an aspect of 120 degrees, or it's one-third of a circle. And, of course, we're dealing with the Trinity, as we know. Doct means to teach and instruct. So, in other words, when you're looking at somebody, when they say, oh, the doctrines of Jesus, it literally says three put into thirds, or, or you know, a, a wholeness put into thirds. That's exactly what a trine is. And, and, of course, a trine is an astrological term. Lord, Jesus, Christ. Four letters in Lord, five letters in Jesus, and six letters in Christ. Four times five times six is 120. That's a trine. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And then it gives you the Trinitarian doctrine? What does the Trinitarian doctrine tell us? Where is Christ in the present? We'll get to that. What else is 120? Come see the place where the Lord lay. Trinitarian, the trine, the doctrine. 120 is the 15 triangular number. We covered this last week. What is that reference? Well, that's the number of degrees. So 15, when you triangulate the number 15, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, add that all together, it equals 120. Do you know what? 15 degrees per hour is clocked with the hand. That's one hour that the sun rises, and the sun rises in a 15 degree, which once again, you just triangulate that, and it's 120. And of course, what are we dealing with? What was the first thing that, that this chapter made sure that you understood? It's Sunday. It's the day of the sun. All of that math is, of course, on your hands. And we also know that the, the keystone there, what, where's the keystone? No, I don't even have it here. But the keystone is, of course, the what? There it is. It's the key. It's your hands. And what? The Kaaba or the cube. So in this one verse here, he is not here for he is risen. That leads to the cube. The entire thing leads to the hexagon. And then come see the place where the Lord lay. That leads to what? The doctrine of Jesus. Every single, all the math in that one thing leads to all the exact same place. Now it says, he is not here for he is risen. Come see where he, he is. Now in the, in the story, so when we see like he is risen, let's go back here. The human Taurus, of course, he is risen up through the, 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 the polaries and the Aries. And then what happens? Of course, he's going to come, he's going to come back down and make himself available to all the rest of the people, if you will, right? Because he exists within you. So we go up that Taurus, we go up and out, and then we come back down because that's what happens in a Taurus. And that leads you to what? Well, it leads you to Galilee. It leads you to the bottom. It leads you to that bottom of the pole. And that's exactly where the, where they meet Jesus. This is a toroidal structure. Of course, we've talked about this many times. Galilee. What's Galilee? Galilee means region. It means rolling. It means to roll or an encircle. Of course, this is the heavens above. They are encircling. They are rolling. That's what they do. The place in the center is the still point. And that's a place where you're not rolling and encircling. It's a place that's sheltered from the, the wicked gale-forced winds, if you will, that are in the heavens. And that's exactly Gale, Gal, Galilee comes from Gale, from mad, frantic, or bewitched winds. So this is a place that would be sheltered from the wind in the center, if you will. 
So he goes up and out, and he goes back down. He goes up and out. Let's go back here. Goes up and out, and then comes back down out of the North Celestial Pole, down to the Southern Celestial Pole, into Galilee. And that's exactly in the story where they say he is. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he go before you into Galilee, exactly where a toroid would send you. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. What is, when you go up out of the Aries, think about this. When you go up out of the Aries and you go back down, in, if you will, through the Galilee and to that pole, what are you in? You're in the center. He went up out of the Polaris and he went back down into the center, if you will, of the Southern Celestial Pole. Jesus remained in the center, if you will. That's exactly where the cube and the hexagon points to where he is. Where are we? Where are we? I lost my place. There's only freaking 20 verses and I already lost my place. And go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. And behold, he go before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I've told you. I told you that's where he's going to be. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. When we talk about fear and great joy, let's talk about fear a second. Because fear is also, you know, it's to terrify and frighten. And of course, that, that is used, that this word is used in that context. But there's also the um, archaic versions of basically this noun and verb, which would be a mixed feeling of dread and reverence. Regard God with reverence and awe. There, you know, some people be like, oh, they say fear God in the Bible. You're not supposed to fear anything, stuff like that. When you understand a, a deeper context of fear, this is no different than when a, a musician that's been a musician for 30 freaking years or whatever still gets butterflies going out on stage. Anything that's worth doing anything that actually it will is going to take all your gumption and gall and gusto and everything that's within you it it there there's a there's a level of fear that comes with it there's a level of trepidation there's a level of like butterflies in your stomach okay that happens with this okay so when you're going to you know hear about meet the lord and things like that there there is this sort of fear with this reverence and awe okay so just so you know that that's, that's one of the references to fear, because some people have that question, so I wanted to cover that. But, okay, let's go back here. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' words. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, this is the first thing that Jesus says that we know after he, after he is risen again, and he meets people, this is what he says, all hail and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Wait a second. Didn't we just say that, hey, he went up and out of the, right, of the human being, and where was he? He was at Pisces, the feet. So they went to the feet and worshipped him down in Galilee, which is what? All in the southern celestial hemisphere. That's where Galilee is. Then in the zodiac, man, where is he? He's, he's at the he's Pisces, it's the feet. Okay? We'll get to that just once again. We'll get back to that. But this is what he says. Jesus met them saying, All hail. All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So this is the first thing that Jesus says after being resurrected and everything like that. Here's the math of all hail. First off, before we get into that, what does hail mean? It means to be healthy. So basically, what he's what is he saying? How do you how do you secure health? Of course, right? We've talked about this. Who's the greatest healer? Christ. So of course, where is he within you? 
Okay, so then he's, this is the first thing he says, everybody be healthy. Not all hail me. Everybody, in the sense, all be healthy. Okay, now, this is the math of the very words, the two words that Jesus, the first thing that you hear about Jesus saying after he's resurrected, all hail. All hail equals 19. Once again, if you've been following along the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, you already know what 19 is. 19 is a vigesimal system. 0 through 19 is your hands and your feet. And I think, I'm pretty sure we started this whole live stream with the fact that this is exactly what this is about. Down to the number of chapters in the book. All hail equals 19. That's a vigesimal system. That's a reference to your hands and your feet. Not only that, all hail, all equals 5 and hail equals 14. All equals 5 and hail equals 14, which is what? What is that? That's your hands. That's the very mathematics that's on your hands. Five appendages and 14 phalanges. And it's that pattern right there that's mirrored from the left to the right above on your hands and from the left to the right below on your feet. So when he means all hail, what's the mystic? What is, what is, the, what is the mystical import? What is the mystical message that we're supposed to derive from this? Is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods? So they go and they start worshiping at Jesus's feet. Of course, we know on the Zodiac man, the feet are the Pisces, 105 watching. And just as I get done with the hand, adding one through 14, he's like 105. <clears throat> Numbers, interesting. So, <sighs> give me a second. They worship at Jesus' feet, which are the Pisces. What is this a reference to? This gets us right into, of course, this is Jesus and the Vesca Pisces. The, the Pisces refer, references, once again, a geometric, there's a geometric metaphor there. There's a geometric corollary there. What is it? The Pisces is the Vesica Pisces. We've covered this before. This is right after Pisces becomes Aries. And what's Aries? Aries is the head. What happens when you're born? The head comes out first, right? And Pisces, as we'll see, is actually considered a womb or what would be considered like a geometric vagina, if you will. And here you have Jesus emerging from this vesica Pisces. And we're going to see why this is important. Here's a bunch more of them. What does it mean? What does it mean? What it, you know, that sort of thing. Of course, we have the symbol for the Jesus fish that comes directly from the, the, the vesica Pisces. Pisces. So they went and they, they worshipped at Jesus' feet. And what is the metaphor there? Well, the Vesica Pisces encodes squaring the circle. And we're going to see that that's what this whole thing leads to. It leads to two numbers at the very, uh, two things at the very end, 666 and squaring the circle. So he's saying, hey, all hail. Um, in other words, basically, be healthy and I'm within you, I'm centered within you. And now we have them worshiping at his feet because that's the Vesca Pisces, a Vesca Pisces within a Vesca Pisces gives you the proportions of what is known as squaring the circle. 
this proportion of that triangle there is the exact same proportion. There's the squared circle. We'll cover it today. We're going to do a brief overview of squaring the circle. There's the exact same triangle that you'll find within the Vesca Pisces in the squared circle. As, um, and I'll cover that in just a second. So what you'll find in the Vesca Pisces is what you'll find in the squared circle. It's one of the ways that you can get a close approximation to this fundamental, what I call the axiomatic triangle that is the blueprint blueprints of the Great Pyramid two-dimensionally. What are, what are the ways to square the circle? This is the merging of heaven and earth, as we'll find. There's two ways. Of course, the perimeter and the circumference being equal, the square, of the perimeter of the square, circumference of the circle being equal, or you can find equal areas to the circle and the square. And you can use the numbers. <clears throat> Pay attention. Eight and nine as approximates. We'll get back to that. So you can use the whole numbers, eight and nine. So a square of eight will approximately equal a circle of nine. And we'll see why this is important. So what they're actually referring to is just by worshiping at his feet is the squared circle or circling the square. You'll find this motif all over the world. I'm not going to cover this, but you'll find it in alchemy. Every mandala you've ever seen is, is, is essentially a squared circle, of course. Um, the Pythagorean school is obviously focused on this. There's the Vitruvian man. You can see the Buddha stupa in the upper right-hand corner. This is the new Wafuchi in the Chinese cosmography, um, cosmogony, that sort of thing. Of course, the, the Freemasonic compasses in square is directly referring to squaring the circle, and we'll get to that to the end, too. Of course, you see um, you know, um, these cathedrals and temples and churches all over the world with domes and a square bottom that is all referencing the geometric art of squaring the circle. This is exactly how Matthew, Matthew, the book of Matthew ends with squaring the circle, what is considered the premier, if you will, mystical mathematical art behind the alchemical process. One of my favorite artists or authors, James Joyce, it was the it was one of the key components of his book, Ulysses. The quadrature of the circle is one of the great problems proposed by the ancient Greeks. This squaring of the circle was also an issue of particular interest to Leopold Bloom, the central character in James Joyce's novel, Ulysses, who they still celebrate today. You'll find squaring the circle in Dante's Paradiso. As the, geometer, as the geometry specialist who sets himself to square the circle and who cannot find, for all his thought, the principle he needs. To Dante, of course, what is squaring the circle? Why is this so important? Why is your spiritual conquest and your spiritual pursuit and the transubstantiation of your soul, the alchemical process that you must undergo, why is there a mathematical parallel to it? Because it has to be scientific. Because there has to be things that we can go to that we can confirm and say, yes, this is true. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of mishmash. It's just a bunch of freaking, you know, the, the theoretical ramblings in people's heads about, oh my, the path towards God. That's called Gaia TV is what you'll find there. So for Dante, of course, so what is squaring the circle? For Dante, of course, the image is God himself, the traveler, grappling with the absolute conjunction of opposites. God and man and the individual's participation in the incarnation. Dante is like a geometer, wholly dedicated to squaring the circle. The ability to turn a square into a circle, this comes from Judith Harris. The ability to turn a square into a circle was one of the preoccupations of the alchemists. In other words, to reach a union of opposites by bringing heaven and earth, the circle and square together, as we'll see, together into one entity. 
Squaring the circle or circling the square, whichever way we want to think of it, is the embodiment of the circular aspects of the heaven that is transforming into the square of the earth and vice versa, if you will. This idea is even found by the, and we covered this before, the Ogallala Sioux. Those, those crazy Native Americans, those savage indigenous must have known something too, huh? In the vision quest of the Ogallala Sioux, the young man desiring purification, virginity of the soul, if you will, and vision from the deity called Wakantanka, would go to a high place up on a mountain, you know, like where Polaris is, if you will, and would there orient a spot of ground creating a squared circle, a mandala configuration, and would sleep with his head at the center pole. He would sleep with his Aries at the Polaris, if you will, on a mountain, on a squared circle. Is, is, anything, is any of this ringing a bell? Where he would hope to receive in dreams and visions what would be of value to him. Squaring the circle is a stage on the way to the unconscious. It's a point of transition leading to a goal lying as yet unformulated beyond it. It is one of those paths to the center, Carl Gustav Jung said. And we're going to see Jesus ends the entire thing with this. Heaven is a circle, earth is a square. What is this talking about? Of course, we find this in orthodoxy as well. I know this is a review for some people, but this is important. Heaven is round, earth is a square. This is a reference to the entirety of our experience. That's what it is. That's what those two geometric forms absolutely encapsulate in their utter simplicity. The entirety of what we actually experience walking around in these physical cube of body, cube bodies, if you will. What is the heaven? It's the metaphysical. It's the unknown. It's the incorruptible. It's the incorporeal. It's the celestial. It's the spiritual. In other words, everything above you, you can't touch, you can't hold, you can't measure, you can't, we can calculate, but we can't measure it. We can't hold it. We can't determine what it is. None of it. That's represented by the circular heavens. Earth is known as the physical, the known, the corruptible, the corporeal, the terrestrial, the material, the mater, the matter, of course, and that is the earth and that is the square. And so the process, the alchemical process, and we're going to see this is exactly what Jesus announces at the very end of this chapter of what he's done. He squared the circle, and that's what he represents. That's what he is. This idea of the spiritual, the physical and the metaphysical, the spiritual and the material, the celestial and the terrestrial is writ large in the Bible as well. Um, oh God, what chapter is this? It don't matter. It's Tiffany 16.5 is what this chapter is. I don't know. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and one glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star different from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. In other words, it is sown in the corruptible on earth. It is raised in incorruption. It is raised in the spiritual matters and the incorporeal and the incorruptible, incorruptible of heaven. Okay? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Okay? And of course, that's exactly what Hercules had. He was a powerful, glorious being who had a countenance, right? Lightning, is the raiment is white as snow. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And this is exactly what squaring the circle is all about, is bringing together the circle and the square. Now, once again, we started this. Where did this come from? 
This all comes from them, what? Worshipping at Jesus's Pisces. Excuse me, this is where, excuse me, this is the squaring the circle in Pisces. They went all the way up from Aries and all the way back down to his feet. And that's where they worshipped him. Okay? Now, why is this important? Why are we covering this? We'll get back to this, okay? We have to go through this. Because the Vesca Pisces represents a virgin birth. And this is even like in stone, how this is shown. That's a figure that's reaching between its legs by itself and opening up its vaginal canal, if you will, to what? Birth the world. Birth the, right? Birth Christ within, if you will. Okay? Now, Mary was a virgin. That means the first, she, so she gave a virgin birth, right? Everybody, this, everybody knows that story, right? So what is the mystical meaning that we can extract from that? What did she do? What was her name? How did she give birth? How did she give this virgin birth? Well, she had to marry, which means what? What is the Virgin Mary? The first character that you're essentially that you're given in the, in the New Testament, one of the first characters, is telling you about the very spiritual processes you must undergo. You must marry the opposites so that you may become virgin and purified and give birth to the Christ. There is the Virgin Mary on the right in the Vesca Pisces, and there, and I've showed this before, and there's the Virgin Mary shown specifically as a vagina, in the form of what? The center of the, 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 the Vesca Pisces. What do you think the mystical meaning is here? We'll get to that in just a second. Because what is death and resurrection all about? Rebirth. That's what it is. You die and be reborn to a new self that is what? Christ, has Christ within. There is the Vesca Pisces and there's, you know, Jesus is a figure and he's got a lamb on his lap. And there are there is water gushing forward from what is understood as a geometric vagina. When you when a woman gives birth, what is one of the first things that happens before she gives birth? Her waters break. What happens in the beginning of Genesis? There's water in the beginning of creation. And, and, and God is hovering around, right? The spirit, the, the wind, the, 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 the breath of God is hovering over these waters. And then God said, let there be light. And what happened? Oh, well, there became waters above and waters below after that. The waters broke. It's a reference to what? Physical birth. And what was born from this? The word, which is what? Christ. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the thing that we've discussed many times before. That's your spiritual birth. Your own crucifixion and resurrection of your soul is based on the mathematics and the entire process of physical birth. And that shit is crafted in the sky. Hence why the Vesica Pisces, which gives you squaring the circle, births what? From the vagina of that Vesica Pisces came what? The head of Aries, the lamb, the ram, which is the next constellation in the Zodiac. What just happened in the story? We saw Jesus die and be reborn because he is laying the groundwork for your own death and rebirth. Of course, we all know too, why is coming to Christ called being reborn? Because the soul's journey requires pain. What did Jesus just undergo? 
the most excruciating pain you probably could undergo. Do you guys know how, how um, gruesome a crucifixion is? It's like you die slowly and there's a ton of pain and you bleed out. It's horrific. I covered it several years ago. But why is coming to Christ called being reborn? Why is this whole process of you like, under, you know, coming to Christ and God, why is there this whole thing of re re resurrection or rebirth? Because the soul's journey requires pain. Without pain, there is no birth. To reject one aspect of our soul's journey because it is painful is to reject the whole journey is the rejection of eternal life. Remember when we covered, when all those people were like, no, Jesus, I'm going to stop this from happening. And Jesus is like, you can't. We talked about, oh, well, that's also, why is that? Well, because it's a reference to the sun and that you can't change the patterns that God has put forward in the sky. But what also can you not change? The fact that you're going to have to undergo some fucking pain in order to what? Actually see the light. You're going to have to go into the darkness. You're going to have to be drug, you know, drugged by the Roman soldiers, if you will. You're going to have to undergo that pain to actually see the light. And hence why Jesus had to undergo all of that stuff. Because what? He's setting the template for us. Okay? Now, we're going we're gonna to stop here and we're going to get back into squaring the circle. But I want to leave you with, with all of that because, like I said, it ends with squaring the circle. So uh, we're going to pass the basket around really quick. If you guys would like to support the work that we do and allow us to keep going, we really appreciate it. Um, Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And if you'd like to donate, um, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, Subscribe Star. We have PayPal and that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, there's books and, and um, all sorts of things you can buy on the site. And we have a lot more in the works. February, let's just say, February is going to be a very interesting and good month. Thank you so much. Thanks to all the people that do support the fine work that we do. And we really appreciate all of you. Okay, let's keep going. And this is where it's going to start getting very good. Then Jesus said, 2810, then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. We already talked about Where's, where's the, where are we going? From the top to the north, right? Now when they were going, behold, some of them watched came into the city. What did we just talk about? Where is Galilee? Galilee is pointing right to the southern celestial hemisphere, which is, is pointing right to the, to the what? 
the pole in the south. What is city? It's polis. So not only did they go kiss his feet, which is at the bottom of the zodiac man, now in the celestial hemisphere, they're at the they're down there at the Galilee, and they, they say it multiple times. They're saying, hey, go into the city, go into the polis, and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Twenty-eight, twelve, And when they were assembled with the elders, they had taken counsel. They gave large money unto the soldiers. And saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. 28.14, And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So these are, who is this? They took counsel, and who are these? These are the chief priests. These are the elders. These are those scribes that were conspiring against Jesus from the very start. And so they're, what are they doing right now? Obviously, they're lying. They're, they're saying, lie and do it for what? What is one of, the, one, is, what is one of the easiest ways to get somebody to compromise their morals, even in today's society? Pay them. Hush money. I'll pay you. Oh, just imagine. Oh, you know what? If you work on this false flag for us, the government says, we'll give you a nice home and $80,000 a year and you just got to shut your mouth. And that's how the devil works. These people are working clearly for the father of lies. And the scripture is just coming right out and telling you, right? The father of lies. Year of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and a bow, not in truth, because there is no truth in him. Christ is within the people, what? That were seeking Jesus. That were actually seeking him. Actually having a genuine spiritual life. These people that are following the devil, there's no truth in him. There is no Jesus in them. And when they speak of the lie, they speaketh of their own. He is a father, and of course, of the father, and the he's a liar and the father of it. So when we see these people now, once again, of course, they're still doing this today. They're doing everything they can. They've bought off governors. They bought off politicians. They bought off musicians. They've paid off all of these people to essentially either shut their mouth or lie. Remember COVID? How many of those influencers and all of that stuff were just saying, hey, many of them probably even knew, well, it was kind of sketchy. But then all of a sudden they got $50,000 in their you know, account for making some Instagram posts. You see how easy that is? This is why this, this is not a book that, this is not a story that just happened, if you will, 2,000 years ago. This story, when we recognize that they're trying to fuck over Christ, and what does that mean for us? That they're trying to screw us over. The governor will secure you. Huh, that's interesting. So they took the money, comma, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day, Matthew 28, 15 says. Let's read this again. So they took the money, they sold out, and they did as they were taught. And they were taught by the people who were following the devil. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So 
this is the math of that phrase right there. That's This is 2815. Uh, so they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The graph is, is cut off there, but it's, it's correct. That equals 384. Okay, so what? What does that mean? 384 is a is 12 synodic lunar months. So it's the length of time between new moons. 29.53 days. You take 13 months of the 29.53 day of lunar calendar, and that's 384 days. Okay? So when, and this is, I'll show you this in just a second, but actually I'll show you right now. So this 384, this is the length of time between new moons. 13 months is 384. This number is actually found in Genesis 1.6 and 1.7. And it's mirrored, okay? It's just to show you this, the importance of this number. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. That's where, of course, the <clears throat> waters broke, if you will, in the birth of the creation. And that equals 384. The next verse, 1, 7, is, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And what is the gematria total of that? 483, 384, 483, 384, 483, verses right next to each other, 1-6 and 1-7. That's all encoding a lunar calendar. Now, that makes sense because in Genesis, what's the next things that they tell you? They tell you about the formation of the stars and then they were used for mapping the Anybody can find that. That's right in Genesis. But here we have this. It's so they took the money and did as they were taught. And it's saying it's commonly reported among Jews until this day. Equals three hundred eighty-four. What is this basically saying? That you can rely on the Jews lying and paying people off like fucking clockwork. That's what it's saying. It's commonly reported. This is so well known today. It's commonly reported that this is just the shit that we do. You can rely on it like you can rely on the sun rising and setting to today. <sighs> just, just map the moon in the sky and whatever numbers you come up with, that just proves that these people are lying, if you will. So, okay. So they took the money and they did as what they were told. And then 2816, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And as we know, what is the Polaris? What is down by Galilee? We just covered. It's the pole. It's the pole of Aries. It's the pole that's in the center of the entire thing, which represents the pole that's within you. And what is that? It's a mountain. It's considered the, quote unquote, right? The northern part is considered what? The Mount of Olives, if you will. So we're saying, oh, they go, go into that southern place where after he lifts rays and goes up and then you're going to find him in the mountain, in the center, in the pole. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, of course. Of course, you're going to have, have that, right? Of course. When you look at some worship, of course, worship is reverence paid to a supernatural divine being, claiming respect worthy of honor by virtue of character or dignity, preserved as respectful epitaph of address to magistrates, certain Freemasons, like the worshipful master, right? People have a problem with this, like worship, you know, worship. Well, worship is worthy and then, of course, ship is basically what? Of course, ship is the quality, condition, or act of, you know, it's basically a state of condition of being, a relationship, that sort of stuff. But a worthy ship 
a ship that is a virtuous character or dignity that's a ship. What is the ship? The ship is obviously, as we know, it's the vessel that is you. So when we look to like worship Christ, what do we do? Where is he? He's in the center. He's in the pole. They give it to you geometrically. They give it to you celestially. He says, all hail. What does he mean? He's like, all hail me. Sit down. You're like, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. As if this is some external thing. It's not. It's existing within. <clears throat> and, but some, of course, doubt it. Why? Well, I don't know. Just look at the world. How many people have self-doubt? And G now here's this is 2818. And here's where we get back to squaring the circle. And he just says it. And then all of the math points to it. 2818. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, comma, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Okay. Before we get into squaring the circle, what did we just cover? We just talked about the fact that this whole thing is about being reborn. It's about the death and resurrection of your own soul and being reborn through Christ. It's about recognizing that spiritual birth is reflected in physical birth, correct? That's what, that's what Marty's claims were. Okay, well, now I'm going to show you that the Bible is going to make the exact same claim numerically. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Do you know what this equals? The gematria equals 269. We're going to break this thing apart. Okay? 269, what is that? 269 is a prime number, which means its divisors are 1 and 269, which means it equals 270. The divisors equal 270. And Jesus came and spake unto everybody, saying, All power, all the power in the entire universe is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And that equals 269, which is a prime, which means it equals 270 in its divisors. What is this? It's the number of days of human gestation. Roughly 270 days. And that's what this whole thing is about. Physical birth reflecting, uh, spiritual birth reflecting physical birth. Now, those 270 days are actually broken up into trimesters. 90 days. 90 days, 90 days. Now, of course, it's not always 270 days. This is, an, this is always an approximate, of course, because it's not like everything is just, you know, th there's movement down here and there's, there's fluidity and stuff like that. Everything's, you know, changing and morphing and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, the pattern, the pattern that is laid forward is what? Basically, 270 days, trimesters, 90 days each. Do you know where you find that? You find it in the corner of a cube. That's where you find it. Didn't we just deal with all of that? You know, the cross to the cube and then the centering in the cube and then all the math of the cube, which we'll get back into. There's where you find it, though. So 270 is directly related to the number of days you spend in your mother's womb. And not only that, the trimesters, the trimesters are found in the cube, the corner. Anytime you look into the corner of a room. Funny, funny, I was, I've mentioned this before. The corner is, gives you life. That's where, that's where the mathematics of life is, a corner. Do you know what a coroner is? A coroner. That's somebody who deals with death. That's pretty interesting. Isn't that what we're dealing with right now? Life and death, death and rebirth kind of thing. I think so. So 270 is also found in the name of Elohim. Elohim, the name of God in the first verse of Genesis, in the original Torah, is equals 86. 
Elohim, there it is. That actually encodes pi too. We're not even going to get into that today. We covered that before. So in other words, this Elohim, which absolutely encodes pi, it equals 86. 86 times pi is 270. So in other words, that period of birth, death, and rebirth is right in the name of Elohim. Pi is encoded in there, and it equals 86, and 86 times pi is 270. So this is three-quarters of a circle, as you, as you saw there, right? So there's three-quarters of a circle. Okay, Let's, uh, let me do this. Let's do some whiteboard here. Do you know what trimesters equal? In English, Gamatria? It equals 52. Do you know what 52 equals in English, Gamatria? Thirty-nine. The trimesters equal fifty-two. Do you know how many weeks in the year there are? There's fifty-two weeks in the year. Do you know what three quarters of that is? You know how many weeks that would be in for gestation? Thirty-nine. Encoded literally in the number fifty-two in English gematria. So, that is all about death and rebirth, which is what the entire story of Jesus is all about. So, that's and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, uh, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Okay, so now let's look at what he says. This is the actual words that he says, right? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, comma, this. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How many letters in that saying? 39? You mean like the number of weeks in gestation? You mean like rebirth? When you go through that rebirth and you rise and Aries arose through the human temple all the way up to the pole Aries, where, do you, where, where, where is that done? As we know, it's Golgotha, it's the skull. It's the Aries, it's the lamb, correct? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This gematria total, these the words right from Christ equals 145. That number, just like all hail, those numbers 145 are found in Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the first thing that Jesus said as when he was resurrected, and the first time they see him, he's like, hey, every health to everybody. Hail everybody, because I'm within everyone, if you will. Right? And it gave you what? 14 and 5, all equals 5, hail, or yeah, all equals 5, hail equals 14. And then, of course, you find those numbers within Lord Jesus Christ. Lord equals 13, Jesus equals 27. What's the difference between 13 and 27? It's 14. Jesus equals 27, Christ equals 32. What's the difference between 27 and 32? It's 5. All power is given unto me, 39 letters. All power is given to me in heaven and earth, 145. You know what else is referencing birth and lambs and that sort of stuff? Well, lambs are born around 145 days. All power is, the lamb says, the lamb, the ram, if you will, who was crucified in Golgotha in that Aries, wants to tell you about squaring the circle. But before that, the whole verse wants to tell you about the number of days of birth 
of gestation, if you will, then all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The very words that Christ says wants to tell you about the birth of the lamb. An experienced ram will put out anything from 50 to 100 um, use you. And how, how many days? A sheep carry their lambs for approximately 145 days. And of course, that's what that the ram, the lamb is, is telling us about. 145. So that's your lamb of God, the approximately 45 days. Now, it doesn't just end there, though, of course, right? Because that's the number that they're giving you. And as we say, well, we got to look at the occult significance of that number. So what does that, what are the, what are the qualities or the attributes? What are the, you know, what are the divisors of that number? Well, the properties of 145, the sum of the divisors equal the Trinity, 180. Where are you reborn? In the Aries, in the lamb, in the ram, in the head. Correct? Yes. So, and of course, that, that 180 is the what? Well, it's the Trinity. It's the Trinity, obviously. Trinities all day long found across the world, of course. We've covered that before. We also know that that 180 is what? The 180 that we just found, the lamb, 145. Sum of divisors equal 180. Where else do we find that 180? Again, the very place that we started this chapter, talking about what? The 28th chapter of the book of Matthew, and it's the 28th phalanges, and where is 180? Where is that trinity? It's right on your hands. 1 through 7, you add it equals 28. I know this is a review, but we're doing it anyway. Multiply 1 through 7 is 5,040. 5,040 divided by 28 is 180. It's right on your hands. All hail, all hail. Some dude that allegedly lived 2,000 years ago or the one that we know is here in the now, right now. Right in front of you. So there's all powers given to me in heaven and earth right there. 180, birth of the lamb. How many letters? 39. You mean the number of weeks of gestation? Now we know that Squaring the circle, we just covered. Let's get into this 145 now. We'll deconstruct this. Now, we just are, we already know that Jesus said, all power is given unto me in what? Heaven, which is a circle, and earth, which is a square. Heaven, which is a circle, and earth is a square. Now, we know squaring the circle, you can approximate squaring the circle very closely with the numbers 8 and 9, as we talked about. A square of unit 8 will have an area of 64, and a circle of unit 9 will be 63.63. You take, you take the radius, square it, times pi, you'll get your area right there. So we know that a square of unit 8 and a circle of unit 9 roughly approximately equal each other. Well, that's interesting because 8 times 9 equals 72, and that's the gematria value of Lord Jesus Christ. 8 times 9 equals 72. 8 plus 9 is 17. Do you know what the 17th prime number is? It's 59. Do you know what adding the first seven, uh, squaring the first seven prime numbers is at, you know, uh, ending with 17? It's 666. We've covered all of this. So, 
8 and 9 reference squaring the circle. Once again, there it is. The, on the right there, the circle and the square have equal areas approximately using 8 and 9 as, uh, as approximates. Okay? Why is this important? Because here's the vowels of this. Again, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It equals 145. Here's the vowels. And it equals what? 64. And do you know what that is? It's 8 squared. Here's the consonants. Of all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And it equals 81. Do you know what that is? 9 squared. So in the, let's go over this again. In the very verse that he tells you that all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth, metaphysical and physical, terrestrial and celestial, references specific geometric forms. Those specific geometric forms can be approximated with two numbers, 8 and 9, and that is exactly, exactly what the vowels and the consonants give you in a verse that tells you about all power is given unto me in the circle and the square. Gematria total, 64. That's 8 squared. Gematria total, 81. That's 9 squared. What's the function that you need to use in order to understand that? The squaring function. And what are we doing? Squaring the circle. All of that within 11 words from the word. Does everybody see that? Oh, the things that are missed. <clears throat> and then he ends it with this. And then we will finish the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in what? the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So people are wondering if the Trinity's in the Bible. It's all over the frickin' Bible, by the way, but, you know, uh, mathematically and otherwise. But, um, so therefore, the book of Matthew just ends basically saying, like, go for and teach all the nations about what? About the interpretation of a bunch of literalists and fundamentalists that are trying to read the Bible, and therefore we have to do what they say? No. What is he saying? Teach all nations, baptizing them, cleansing them in what? The Trinitarian doctrine. What is the Trinitarian doctrine? As we know, this is found across the world. We haven't covered it here, but it's past, present, and future. And that past, present, and future, there is really no, in this sense, no future and past. It's always the eternal now, if you will, right? Like philosophically speaking, we have the past, the present, and future, which is all time. Christ being in the present. And so therefore he's saying, go teach all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, which is the creator of the Son, which is the present, which is the Son, which is the light that's within you right now, and of the Holy Ghost, which is the past. And all of them merge as one unto, as to what? As through Christ, if you will. This is encapsulating everything. All nations, all time, all space, 2820, teaching them to observe <clears throat> all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. 
even unto the end of the world. So what is this saying? This is talking about the omnipotent, omniscience, and omnipresence of God Almighty. That He's always in the present. In other words, you don't have to go combing back through 2,000 years of history to find Christ because He's always with us always in all things and everything we look at. We look at everything above us in the metaphysicality and Christ is there. We look at everything below us that we're, we're in right now, right? In our physicality. And what? Christ is with us. Be not afraid. Fear not. And then he ends with this. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even until the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Amen is the last word of the book. Amen is, of course, a man. That's all it is. That's when you say amen, basically, what are you saying? Like, oh, all of it. Okay. This is all happening within me. An amen is an anagram for name. What is the, what is the name? What is the name? It's the holy name of God. It's what those pesky masons have been searching for. That lost Masonic word thing. You know that lost Masonic word where they were searching for the pesky name of God that those ruffians took because they lied and then they tried to buy their way out of heaven? Remember all of that? Remember that? What is that name? That name is Lord Jesus Christ. This comes from, oh, what book is this? Oh, my Lord, what is the book? It is... W.L. Wilmhurst, and I think it's called, I forget what the name of the book is, I'm sorry. Um, I forget what his name. But um, this is, this is uh, about that name, about that name, and how mystics actually pursue, actually understand what it means when we're looking for the word, the lost Masonic word, the holy name of God, Amen. Centrally in the ceiling of each lodge is exhibited this striking symbol. It is the emblem of the divine presence in the lodge. It is also the emblem of that presence at the spiritual center of the individual mason. Its correspondence in the Christian church is the perpetual light burning before the high altar. In the first and second craft degrees, the symbol is visible in the heavens of, law, in the, heavens of the lodge. In the third degree, it has become invisible, but its presence is still manifested, being reflected in the small light in the east. In correspondence with the divine presence is, as every mason knows, inextinguishable even in one's darkest moments. In the royal arch degree, it again becomes visible, but in another form and in another position, on the floor of the temple and at its center and in the form of a cubicle altar. A white stone bearing the sacred name. Now, when, I, when people ask, where do you learn this stuff? Where did you learn this stuff, Marty? Well, number one, God. <laughs> There's that. But masonry. You can't possibly understand the Bible, understand any of those allegories, any of the math, anything that's even being said out of the, out of the mouth of Christ, unless you embrace the alchemical arts, including Freemasonry, because they're all over this. In their rituals, what do they have? A cubicle stone, it's a white stone, and then it's bearing a sacred name. And where does that name exist? What does the stone represent? The physical body. What is the white? It's the purification of you. In the course of the, the degrees, therefore, it has come down from heaven to earth, from the circle to the square. 
Spirit has descended to the plane of the purified matter. The divine and the human have been brought together and made one. That's exactly what the process, the mystical process of squaring the circle is all about. God has become man. Man has been unified with God and has found the divine name, that Amen, written upon the altar of his own heart. And what do those Masons tell you about that divine name? What is Masonry all about? Well, it's about Matthew. It's about you and math. In the modern rituals, geometry is said to be the basis on which the superstructure of Masonry is erected. Freemasonry of England, the most prominent place that all the science is given, is given to geometry, which is made synonymous with Masonry. So when we look at that G, that G is the number seven. That number seven encodes pi. As we know, it tells you about the, the cipher. It tells you about everything. And as we know, where does that G sit? It sits in the center of the squared circle. The Masons aren't hiding shit. The Masons aren't keeping any secrets. The Masons, any quote-unquote secrets that they're trying to keep, they're actually trying to tell you about. They want you to find the secrets. But they're not even secretive about it. It's emblazoned on their main insignia. The very thing that Jesus says, all power is given unto me in the compasses and the square, for I am a carpenter. And that makes sense. The circle, the square, the circle squared. And how many people that are sitting in those damn pews this morning in Sunday churches anywhere, everywhere, be like, them's the devil worshipers. How many truth seekers are not inviting me to their fucking conference because I promote this stuff? Let's end it with this. How many verses are there in this last chapter? It's 20. Of course, this is Matthew 28. 28 books we're on that last chapter, and the ends with 20. Do you know what happens when you add 20 through 28? The last verse is Matthew 20, 28. 20 plus 21 plus 22 plus 23 plus 24 plus 25 plus 26 plus 27 plus 28 equals 216. Or in other words, it equals 6 times 6 times 6. The last chapter of the book of Matthew gives you the math to lead you to one number or one, one multiplication, if you will. Six times six times six. And I'll leave it with this. Revelation 13, 18, here's wisdom. Let him that hath, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 600 three score and six. Revelation 15, two. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. 666 is a 
key to unlock the mysteries. And the Bible straight up tells you it. But if you don't know how to read it, then you get lost in, in the fear porn of numbers. You get lost in the fear porn of <laughs> square and compasses. And then we don't understand. And if we don't understand, then how are we going to be reborn? If we don't have that knowledge, if we don't understand what it is, who we are, what we're doing here, if we don't undergo that process of death and rebirth, how are we going to be reborn? We can't. 666, they leave you with 666 because they want you to know that if you want to ascend up into the heavens, you're going to need this. You're going to need this in your tool belt. Because if you want to have victory over that beast and over his image and over his mark, you're going to need the number of his name. And that's what allows you to fly up into the pole star and be a good bard. Okay? And that's what it's all about. Okay. If you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at subscribe star. You can become a phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a singless bird, or you can become Tom of the P, my bird. You can, uh, if you'd like to support what we do. Uh, Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And, of course, we have um, Venmo, Buy Me a Coffee, Cash App, Subscribe, Star. We are streaming to, we're not streaming to Instagram this morning, are we? I don't think we are. YouTube, yeah. Rockford. Oh, are we? Oh, wow, amazing. Well, hello, Instagram. <laughs> YouTube, Rockford, Rumble, uh, Instagram. And thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute. And the podcast is available at all the podcasting places. And um, for Rockfin, we do have a membership over at Rockfin that has all the sermons. they got Tuesdays with Marty. We've got music videos, archive videos, all the documentary films, which we've got another one. We have a uh, uh, the, the next documentary will be coming out on um, uh, the February 14th. We're going to do it on Valentine's Day. That's where we're going to release that bad boy. On Valentine's Day. So... And, oh, rosaries, that sort of stuff. Oh, what, what are you talking about? Just tell people in Oh, we have rosaries. <laughs> Those are, hold on. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I have a whole order of things. Anyway, so uh, documentaries, lots of good documentaries. And like I said, another one coming out that is going to be a bombshell. Flatter Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. Uh, you can get the Sunday sermons on there. So check that out. And, of course, we have the church store where we have, what's that, baby? You see, you're not even paying attention. That's where you were supposed to be on Cuba. It's like, we have rosaries. If you'd like to purchase rosaries or Bible packages and stuff like that. We also, um, we just sent in, sent for the last draft of our children's book. Finally, hopefully it's the last draft, but this is what it's called. We're finally going to um, give out the title and everything like that. And some things have changed over time, but it is called Little Simon Petey and the Amazing Adventures of Grandpapa. And um, so that was a story by Brother Marty Leeds, yours truly, and my beautiful wife. And I did all the layout and coloring and put it all that together. And then we had some illustrations done by uh, a lady online. And so that should be coming out. We're really hoping by, hopefully by Valentine's Day as well. We're, we're getting the last drafts back. Hopefully the last drafts are good. And if they are, then we just got to get it on the website and everything like that. But what we are going to do is do a, a whole breakdown of this book once it's out, out for a week or two. And uh, I'll read through it and everything like that. And then we're going to show, because this is the first book that I've ever um, like specifically encoded a whole bunch of stuff in it. So within this children's story, there's a whole bunch of things encoded, like some math and some colors and, and just the story and with some of the illustrations and stuff like that. So we're just going to, um, we're going to do what a magician's not supposed to do and like to tell you about all the tricks, but we're just going to do it. We're going to explain everything. So that is coming out. I'm really looking forward to that. We're really, we're actually, we ended up being, 
I'm extremely happy of how it, with how it turned out, actually. It, uh, I was really sketch, uh, skeptical for a while, but uh, it ended up being very, very good. So um, anyway, we're looking forward to that. Yes, Little Simon Petey and the Amazing Adventures of Grandpa Paw. Okay, and um, we want to say thank you to um, some people here. Let's do some thank yous. Let's, um, Thunder Chicken, everybody needs to give some love. We're not going to say why right now until he gets back but everybody we need to send a prayer and much love out to thunder chicken lee who is always who's always here sunday but he's not here this sunday and we'll talk about that later why he's not uh, we'll let him describe that but let's send a prayer to thunder chicken and give him uh lots of love because he he needs it right now so Okay, anyway, Bruce Hutton, thank you so much. Ursula Dietz, we love you, Mama Dietz. Thank you so much. Eugene Jacques, thank you so much. Aloisi Morales, I don't know how I say that. Jared Poole, thank you so much. Roland Peter, Interverse, Michael Shucknick, Franklin Russell, Eugene Jacques, Leah Steele, thank you so much. Jeremy Hines, appreciate you so much. Happy rising, my friends. Much love to you. Daryl Papazzoni, 20, thank you so much. Daniel Hager, Jean Vina, Alicia Crawford, <laughs> Jared Poole uh, for crushing. <laughs> well, Janine Grassi, well with love. Uh, Ray Brackman, every month is interesting with you, brother. Uh, Jean Vina, a bonus for a job well done. Thank you so much. Sarah Horta, thank you so much. Angie, uh, Angie Abel, Anna Medina, Alex Meter, thank you, brother. Stella Hastings, Sunday Worship, thank you so much. Uh, Swear to Herta said last week, today was epic. Yes, it was. Thank you. Christina Bangs. Four coffees. Love this church. Shannon Seal. Love these sermons in the community. Thank you so much. And then we had a few anonymous donors. And then Super Chats. Andrew Masonette. Love church. Love you all. Thank you so much, Andrew. Good seeing you always. Broken Bear. Always a great service. Thank you so much. Pa Paolo Ricardo. Is that how you say that? Valuable as always. Sending gratitude and appreciation from the great Hungarian plains. Small Axe. Great book. Thanks, Maddie. Uh, Marty. And of course, thanks, Marty and Jen. And then Magical Steven bought one one uh, coffee. Thank you so much. Okay, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you so much. What we're going to do is, um, I'm just going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to cancel. Actually, you know what? Let's just do this right now. I wanted to show you guys um, one thing about squaring the circle, and we're just going to, we're just going to do this right now. I was going to do a separate live stream, but. There's a question about the rosary. Oh, is there a question about the rosary? Actually, let's just do this right now. Let's not, not do a separate live stream. Let's just keep this going for another 20 minutes or so, um, a half hour. And we'll ask questions, we'll chat, that sort of stuff. And then I'm, I just want to show you some things on um, the whiteboard that I, that about squaring the circle and how absolutely embedded this stuff is in the num in the numbers itself. Forget about gematria, forget about any of this other stuff. When we talk about pi, when we talk about that there's a science behind this stuff, what I want to show you is that this stuff is embedded in the math itself, okay? And so um, grab some of those questions if you would. So anybody that has any questions, we'll talk. And but right now I just want to show this thing really quick. Um, uh, actually, maybe two things. But he, Jennifer's going to send them on Telegram, and then I'll get back in the chat. But I wanted to show this squaring the circle becomes extremely important here. Okay, um, let's do this. First off, I want to show you this squaring the circle. Okay, in English gematria, do you like my my new whiteboard? Oh, we're breaking this bitch out. Five five one seven seven. Oh, I can still do this. Amazing. I haven't done this in so long, and I can still do it. Amazing. Seventy six. Okay. Squaring the circle. The phrase squaring the circle, which is exactly what we talked about, exactly what we finished this entire chapter all about. Right. Squaring the circle. Jesus says it. All the math is encoded in it. The whole bit. Right. Okay. And so, um, squaring the circle equals seventy six. Oh wait, I am not showing my graphic. There it is. I'm sorry. 
Squaring the circle equals 76. Okay? Everybody see that there? That's using the septenary cipher, which is that bad boy right there. You can double check all of this stuff yourself. Okay, now the upper angle of the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is what that squaring the circle is based on, everything that we just covered, this upper angle in whole numbers is 76 degrees. Okay? And that's the all-seeing eye of God, if you will. Everybody see that? So we're, that upper angle, you know, that's what actually ends up determining the rest of the, the, the uh, triangle there. Squaring the circle equals 76, and there's, there it is. Okay, so this triangle may be proportioned out with two numbers. This fundamental universal triangle. And this is something I just kind of discovered. Two numbers actually may be used to proportion that triangle, that fundamental triangle found within squaring the circle. I want to make sure I'm clear. The height being 14, doesn't matter what units you're doing. This is proportionality. So the base is 22 and the height is 14. Okay? So everything that we just talked about, squaring the circle, there's a triangle that you can proportion with these numbers. I want to make myself very clear because watch this shit. Now let's look at prime numbers. Okay? And let's look at how pi is related to all this stuff. Because I always say pi shows up here and 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 here. And then I show that in English or whatever. I'll show it in Greek. But let's forget about language right now. Let's just go to the numbers. Let's go to 14 and 22 and let's look at prime numbers. The 14th prime number is 43. And we've talked about this. Which means its divisors are 1 and 43. Which means its divisors sum to 44. The 14th prime number is 43, and its divisors lead to 44. 44 divided by 14 is 3.142. It's pi. So once, as we know, in the number 14 itself, that there's pi, is a reference to pi. And there's that. Now let's look at the number 22. The 22nd prime number is 79. Now before we look at that, of course, it's a prime number, which means its divisors are 1 and 79, which means it adds to 80. Do you know what? In Greek, in Greek, pi is 80. In Hebrew, pi in their gematria is 80. Why is that important? Because the 22nd prime number is 79. If you reduce 7 plus 9 equals 16 and 1 plus 6 is 7, 79 reduces down to 7. Correct? 7 plus 9 equals 16, 1 plus 6 is 7. 22 divided by 7 is pi. 22 and 14, when we look at these two numbers, which give you the proportions of squaring the circle, just naturally in the prime numbers, both of these numbers give you pi. And not only that, it leads you to the understanding of why pi is given the distinction of the number 80 in, I think it's Arabic as well, but uh, definitely in Greek and Hebrew. And that's all squaring the circle. Now, it doesn't end just there. Everybody get that. 14 and 22. Now, as we saw, as we saw, squaring the circle, let's do it again. Watch this. I'll show you one more with uh, Jesus and Pi after this, because this, these are the things I wanted to cover. Squaring the circle, let's do this again. Squaring the circle gives you 76, as we saw. We'll do the math again. Uh, 
very sloppy penmanship. That's okay. Gives you 76. That's the actual angle at the top of that pyramid. Now let's look at the number 7 and 6. Well, 7, as we know, gives you 22. Yeah. Try that again. 22. And 6, which gives you pi. 22 divided by 7 is pi. And 6 gives you 14, which is what? The proportions of squaring the circle. So even if we forget about all of this nonsense gematrian English that all of the people want to criticize, doesn't, doesn't matter at the end of the day. These numbers here, this 14 and 22, oh, I screwed that up. These 14 and 22, you can find pi just in prime numbers. All right, let me show you one more here. Jesus in Greek... Just to show you how many ways pi is encoded this. This is stuff I didn't even cover in the book. And I don't even get to. As we know, there's Lord Jesus Christ in Greek. Oh, my penmanship has got to get better. In Greek. Jesus equals 888. This is well known by many people. Okay. Kyrios Jesus Christos. This equals 800. This equals 1480. We're not going to get into that right now, but Jesus equals 888. Well, 887, 887 is the 151st, or excuse me, 154th prime number. 887 is a prime number, and it's the 154th prime number, which means what? Class is. <laughs> 887, and it's a prime number, means 1, which means its divisors add to what? 888. Do you know what 154 is? It's 22 times 7. Because 154. 22 divided by 7, of course, is what? It's pi. So, in one singular number, by understanding primes and mathematical constants, you can derive all of this and it directly from this number, whether it has anything to do with this dude at all. You see what I'm saying here? So the things that I show you in Gematria and people like to say, oh, that's just in English, is bullshit. Absolute nonsense. This stuff that I show you is absolutely encoded within the numbers themselves. You can go to squaring the circle or you can go to the number dictate, you know, given to Jesus in Greek. And you'll find, what will you find? Pi. And then what will you find again? Pi. And then what will you find again? Pi. Naturally. Okay? So I just wanted to show you guys that. That's, that's it. Okay, so do you, does anybody have any questions? Um, is my wife sending any questions let me see uh, yeah how come when everybody Marty takes questions nobody has any I know okay maybe we won't yeah it's uh, it's pretty oh is there why did I miss them I don't know where are they 
Oh, okay. what is the significance of the rosary? I thought it was a Catholic belief. Actually, um, I, we covered that in a video called the, um, let me get back here. We covered that in a video called the Holy Rosary and Gnosticism and the Holy Rosary. Um, the rosaries are actually something that's been used across the world. Like Native Americans use it. You'll find uh, like Buddhists and uh, like all sorts of different cultures actually use rosaries and counting beads and things like that. The reason that we specifically use what would be considered the Catholic rosary is because of, well, I mean, I, I cover it in that video, but my own um, family heritage and things like that. But not only that, the rosary has 59 beads. Let's go back here. So the rosary has 59 beads. So, so uh, let's, let's just do this. Rosary is Jesus Christ equals 59. Jesus equals 27. Christ equals 32. Okay. So we say, why are we using, you know, like, you know, this is, this also gets to this thing of like ownership. You know, it's just like, do the, do the you know, the, the Catholics own the rosary? No, they don't. You know what I mean? So there's that. But there's 59 beads in that rosary. Well, why 59? That becomes the question, why 59? Well, then we've covered all the reasons why 59. It's, it, re it represents the sexagesimal system. The sexagesimal system, which is 0 through 59, right? Which is what? That maps the sun. Where is the sexagesimal system found? It's found on your hand. In fact, when you map that sun, right? You map your with your four fingers, and that's a 15-degree rise of the sun. This is 15 minutes 15 minutes, 15 minutes, and 15 minutes. That's what your hands actually give you. This, 60. That's a sexagesimal system, which is based on what? Zero through 59. Okay? Sorry for my terrible penmanship. I got to get better. Holy Lord. But so that's why we use the rosary. That's one of the reasons that we use the rosary is because a direct reference, because that rosary is encoding gematria. I mean, there's not a Catholic out there that probably understands that, of course. But what are you going to do about that, right? You know, so that's one. Of, that's one of the reasons. Um, I want to know about the esoteric meaning of burning in hell forever. You actually don't burn in hell forever. That's one of the other things they talk about. That this is a place, and the language that they use is specific. And we've talked about this when we did a live stream called um, um, "Lake of Fire," I think is what we called it, or. I forget what the actual title of the hell or in the lake of fire. I forget what it's called, but it's called, it's, uh, a, they, they say, where you go to eternal damnation. This is the place where eternally the soul is cleansed through the lake, the water of fire. It does, so this, and fire and water, of course, lake of fire, these are all purification agents. That's what you, you like, just even uh, there's the, the you know, uh, baptism by fire, baptism by water kind of thing, right? Eternally, this place exists because it is in the metaphysical realms. It is in the stars. It's just like, just like Orion's belt is going to be there and in that pattern like it always has been. So is the lake of fire, which is at the bottom of the celestial hemisphere. It does not say anywhere in the Bible that your soul is going to live there eternally. It does not say that specifically. And if it did, God would be a total piece of shit. Where you just like, oh, you get one life. And then if you screw it up, you're just going to go down there and burn eternally. Wow. What a loving and caring God. That's not what it says. 
So and now it might say that in like later biblical, like the New International Version or something like that. I don't know, but you know, um, it does. That's not what it says in the King James, and we actually cover it in that in that um, that that uh, live stream. So I'd highly recommend that. So um, this may be a dumb question, but what determines a prime number and what is its purpose? Well, number one, what determines a prime number is a number that's divisible by one in itself. Okay, so that's what a prime number is, and they're all when I when I sh when I talk about like these mysteries within math, these are mysteries within math that are completely independent of any sort of like religious connotation that we can you know assign to them or anything like that. Prime numbers itself are a big mystery within mathematics itself, because it's like why are primes unfold the way they do? Two, three, five, seven, eleven, thirteen, you know, seventeen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So what is a prime? It's a number divisible by one and itself, okay? And when you, when you recognize a prime, it's, it's a very distinguished in this sort of sense number because there's, there's something really special about it, okay? And you'll see that a lot of these primes, of course, are end up being numbers that are, that are referenced, you know, spiritually. Three, of course, seven, that sort of thing. So this, when, when we get into things like, oh, why prime numbers or pi or E, that sort of stuff. This is what requires somebody to actually undergo the seven classic liberal arts and actually have a firm foundation and study in mathematics and geometry to really understand and extricate the, the, the spiritual meaning of it. And this is why the Masons push the, the, the seven classic liberal arts so much. You know, people think that you can just get into heaven without being educated. I think that's bullshit. I think it's total bullshit. It's like just faith or just, all we have to do is just hope or something. It's like, no, you have to know who you are, where you are, what your purpose is here. In order to do that, you have to be educated. A bear, a, 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 a mama bear isn't just going to send, and that's a terrible way to say that, but you know, you can't just send a, your kid out into the world and expect them to be, you know, uh, um, you know, have success and things like that if they're an idiot. The same thing is, goes for spiritual work. It doesn't mean you have to be some brainiac, some Einstein, see what I did there? You don't have to be some brainiac, some, some Elon Musk, see what I did there? Now, um, in order to, I'm saying to like to get into heaven, but you can't be an idiot. You have to know truth and truth requires a, a study. And this is why it's, it's so important. This is why they had those mystery schools. They were schools. Okay. And so that's why, and this is why you do Bible study. So that you can actually understand that, okay? So th that's that's what I would say. Anyway, prime to get back to prime numbers are yeah, they're just important because of the fact that they're curious itself. Like why are they? Why are these primes? Why do they unfold the way they do? Mathematicians have been trying to find a pattern for prime numbers forever. They've also been trying to find a pattern for the unfolding digits of pi. I don't think you're going to find it. That's like trying to find a uh, a solution to squaring the the circle physically. You're not going to find it. It doesn't exist. It's not meant to exist. Any podcast recommendations to try to turn someone onto your work? Blah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Come here. Um, I don't know. It just depends where they are because we cover so many different things. And I am going to do uh, coming up, maybe even the next live stream. We're going to do. Um, we're going to do uh, the basics. Um, I'm going to call it basics slash like start here. I think is what we're going to do. And we're going to cover all of the basics into getting into why, you know, number one, just the sciences that we talk about, but why they become important. You know, why is the study of math important? Because as you'll see, all of these things, they're, they're, they're based on mathematics, which have a inherent meaning in them, just, just, just like primes, you know? So, um, uh, 
So anyway, I don't know. Uh, you could try the um, astrology of the Book of Mark, maybe. Um, the, the, the video squaring the circle, that's a pretty good one. Those are some pretty good places to start. Uh, what does 88888? I have no idea, Virginia Dare. That doesn't... Um, I don't, my brother sent me eight eights postmortem. That I don't know. Other than 64, square, squaring the circle. A little off topic, a little off topic, but what do you think of the band Tool's use of sacred geometry and other types? Of, I've never really liked Tool, to be honest. I honestly think Tool are kind of a bunch of fuck tools, to be honest. <laughs> I think, what's his name? That the lead singer dude? The I think that guy's totally arrogant. And I don't know. Um, yes, I think they know about sacred geometry. I'm sure some of these guys are into the occult. Dark light occult? I don't know. Don't ask me. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys get into this stuff um, for sure. And who knows how. But uh, Virginia Dare, thank you so much. Anyway, let's take one more question, two more questions. Mr. T, where should we start people who are completely new to esoterica? I know it's a personal process, but surely the proper recommendations could help them getting started. That's what we'll actually talk about. We're going to do, um, we're going to look at the bookshelf. We're going to look at my bookshelf and I'm going to cover maybe, um, probably like 20 books, 25 books, something like that to, um, that I would recommend you, um, reading or if you want to get into this sort of thing, there's really starting into, um, questioning all of this stuff and coming to, in this sense, like your own conclusions, not that they're your own conclusions, because they're absolutely conclusions that are meant to be drawn from this. So they're not your own, you know, in this sort of sense. But in, in other words, thinking for yourself and becoming an autodidact is absolutely a personal journey. And it's not, I don't know, you know, how you get started in that. Usually it's some sort of trigger, some sort of thing that, you know, inside you that's just unsettled that you, you know, you get started. But as far as like um, starting to learn esoterica and mysticism, that gets into studying symbolism, that gets into studying uh, math and geometry, that does get into, you know, um, studying some conspiracies and things like that. That all becomes sort of important in those first steps. But um, the biggest thing I think that people, the biggest issue I think people have in a spiritual or journey or into metaphysics and stuff like that is just being genuine with it. That's the one thing I can say that uh, that really sort of, I would say, put me over the top of some other people or many other researchers is that I was crazy genuine with it. Like if something didn't make sense, I'm like, okay, well that's either bullshit or, it, or I'm not understanding something. It has to make sense. It has to make so much sense that I can be able to, to um, repeat it to somebody else or explain it to somebody else. Otherwise, what's the point? right? Then you're not actually learning anything. And this is what you'll see with most, um, especially the, the Christians, they can't actually explain what's going on in their Bible. They don't even give it a shot. When you look at like the, like a lot of these Orthodox and stuff like that, and the people over like the crucible and stuff, they're never going to do actual Bible study because they fucking can't. They can't. They don't under, they have no idea what any of it actually is meaning. And then of course they shut the doors because they're like, oh, mysticism, bad, occult, bad. Mm -hmm, okay. Love my Jesus. Well, good luck. Good luck. So Andrew Mason had, have you heard about the King James book on demonology? We actually did a, I did a live stream where I read from that book. Um, have you looked into it and, and you think it has anything to do with math as well? They actually cover specifically, he actually talks about in that book, because um, it's kind of like a, that book is kind of like, a, um, oh, what am I trying to say? Oh my God, it's just 
totally brain fart there. Um, it's kind of like a platonic thing where it's like it's two guys that are in sort of a conversation, at least in one part of the book it is, and it's written in Old English, so it's kind of hard to read. But they actually talk about like what astrology can be used for and what it's not used for. What is like quote unquote divinization where you're trying to like, they, they basically go over a bunch of that stuff. So I covered that because a lot of people are like, oh, King James, you wrote a book on demonology. I'm like, well, did you read it? You just like, you know, that sort of thing. So you'll, you'll get that a lot in some of the conspiracy circles. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to bash something or not understand it, or they, you at least got to read the book. Sorry. You, you know, so, um, yes, um, that is on the hard drives. That's a lot of that stuff is old stuff. That's just for people that are really interested that want to support the church. So otherwise moving forward, we're um, concerned with the sermons, but yes, in short, I have covered that. Lindsay Smith, what do you say? Um, what do you say to Christians who use this verse? Oh, I don't care. I mean, uh, I understand what you're asking, Lindsay Smith. What do you say to Christians who use this verse? What do you say to Christian, any Christian who takes one verse out of context from the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book, and then says it as some sort of dogma? That's a fundamental problem you'll have all day long with, with, with literalist, fundamentalist Christians, right? It's like, okay, you could say, so for by the grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. That's because you don't actually save yourself. It's through Christ. It's, th it's Christ within that's doing the work. And this is, it is the gift of God. That's because it is given to you as a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Okay, well, you th you th we talk about that because it's talking about your, in this sort of sense, all the things that I do, all the things, me, 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 me. No, what do I say though? You have to be there to allow Christ in to have him work through you. This is the whole thing about taking, you know, letting, denying yourself and taking up your cross. And it's just as Jesus said in the last one, he's on, when he's on the cross, it's like, I'll drink the cup. It's not my will, but yours kind of thing. And that in order to do the will of God requires work. The work that they're talking about is your own personal work. Like if I work hard and success, then, and I build the business, then I'm going to be this. They throw this verse out right? And then they don't go to the verse where it says, you know, um, it's just like, um, what is it? Um, faith without works is dead. So how do, you, how do you reconcile those two things? What that person is doing is cherry picking something out of the Bible, creating dogma behind it, getting all hoity-toity and all like high and mighty about it. And this is what the, this is what those, um, the, the, the Sabbath keeper Christians do all the time. They call them the new Jews. Because this is basically what it is. They do this all the time. They cherry pick. They take one thing out of a chapter or one thing and be like, see, it says this. What about the 10 other things that, that completely contradict that? Now, we've also talked about contradictions in the Bible. A lot of those Christians that will throw that verse at you will be like, there's no contradictions in the Bible. Are you retarded? We could, we could flip open the book and I show you contradiction after contradiction. They exist in there for a reason, of course, and we've covered them exhaustively before. But... Yeah, that's, that's a joke to me. It's like, how can you look at this verse, be like dogmatic about it and be like, see, it's just faith and, right? And then forget about these other ones. You also have to understand too that their understanding of faith is a, is a misnomer. It's a bad interpretation of faith. Their understanding of faith is blind acceptance to a bunch of shit I don't understand. That's literally their understanding of quote-unquote faith. Faith is absolutely determined and defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. If you have faith, there must be some evidence of it. Okay? So there's a whole bunch of problems with that, that, that cross-section of, of Christians. 
right? They don't understand faith. They don't understand, they don't understand the faith is defined in the Bible. They don't understand the contradictions that say specifically about what work they're talking about. How many parables, not to belabor the point, but how many parables did we talk about where there's laborers in the vineyard and they're doing work? What do you think that parable is about? Faith? No, it's telling you it's about something completely else, you know? So anyway, there's that. Are you going to look at the St. Germain Green books? I don't know what those are, but if you point them to me, does that answer your question, Lindsay Smith? Hopefully it does. Um, I can't find any information. Truth Seeker asks, I don't know what, by the way, Amberson 8 Cat, I don't know what the St. Germain Green books are, but if you let me know, I will look at them. Truth Seeker, I can't find any information about Michael S. Schneider. Do we know if he is alive? And if he is, can Marty reach out to him? I've tried to reach out to him before, and he's uh, it's he's not. Sorry, I got just a white screen there. Um, he's hard to reach. I don't think he does interviews and stuff like that. You got to understand, a lot of these esotericists and things like that are mystical people. They're not, you know, like Jennifer and I, we're, we're kind of introverts. Like, it's it's insane that I'm even doing this. Like, I, I as far as I'm concerned, I could just not talk to anybody. <laughs> Like, so, but that's not what God commanded of me. So I got to do other things. But yeah, Michael Schneider, um, he, I believe he's still alive, but I don't, I don't, I don't believe he does interviews or anything like that. How about reading the Apocrypha? We might. Will you ever dive into the Apocryphal works in the future? Yeah, we might. Yeah, we might. Okay. That's going to do it for me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you all for the wonderful support. And um, that's going to do it for us. And I hope you have a wonderful Sunday and you keep it real. And all right, that's going to do it. Where is my graphic? Okay. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. We're going to listen to another Ryan Adams song because he released five new records and this song is really good. So anyway, it's called Manhattan in the Rain and this is off a record called Sword and Stone. And okay, that's going to do it. We will see you next week and I think we're going to do basics. We're going to do start here next week and that's what we'll do, okay? All right, guys. We will see you on the flip side. Many blessings and much love to all.
sorry about everything, baby. Sorry about everything, maybe. 